0: Can't blame them, sir, cooped up in that shed. Yes, well, tomorrow they can move into their new quarters. They'll like that. You're still keeping them cooped up, sir, Slith observed. What else can I do? Kang demanded. I can't let them go roaming about on their own. You saw what happened this morning. Yes, sir, said Slith. The sooner we leave this place, the better, sir. I know, said Kang. After we whip some gobbo butt I'll ask the general's permission for us to leave. I don't think he'll stop us. What reason would he have? He's a general, sir, said Slith. They don't need reasons. Well, there's nothing I can do about it now, Kang returned irritably. No, sir, said Slith and seeing that the commander was in a bad mood, the Sivak wisely left to go about his work. Tang realized that he was taking out his frustrations on his men, but at the moment he didn't much care. He watched his troops set to work with envy. A few hours of swinging an axe or heaving logs about would ease the tensions that were gurgling inside his stomach and tightening his muscles into knots. He knew better than to try, though. His wounds were just starting to heal. Any physical labor would break them open. Kang thought he might go check on the females, but he didn't want to do that either. He guessed that they would be in a terrible mood, sulking and quarrelsome. He would have to be calm and patient with them, and he just couldn't manage that right now. He had decided to go eat breakfast when Pollard the Smith appeared with a question followed by Rohan, the quartermaster, with a question of his own, and then came Bratback, one of the Ba's subcommanders. By the time Kang had dealt with them, Fulkth returned, having discovered a problem in the architectural design. Kang never did manage to get breakfast. The morning passed in a fury of hammering, heaving, hoisting, and hauling. The engineers stopped work only for a trip to the mess hall, and that was done in shifts, so that some continued working while others ate. The females were marched out to the latrine again, and Kang was pleased to hear Gloth's report that the females were docile and well-behaved. Probably they had been frightened by the turmoil this morning. Kang felt a bit remorseful, decided that he would stop by in the evening to reassure them. Of all the draconian males, only Kressel noted that the females were a bit too docile, a bit too well-behaved. He had heard some very odd sounds emanating from the shed, sounds that were familiar to an old campaigner. Kressel guessed immediately what the females were doing, and, thoroughly approving, he kept silent. Fonrar worked her troops hard all that morning. She allowed them a break for lunch and then started at the drill again. At first she'd despaired of them ever succeeding and began to wonder uneasily if perhaps the commander was right. If any one of her troops had been holding a real sword, Fonrar guessed that half her force would be dead or wounded by now, slain by themselves or by their comrades. They fell over their own feet. They tripped each other up with their tails and batted each other in the face with their wings. They thought it was all funny at first, but after each had done a few hundred push-ups, they weren't laughing anymore. Ra grit her teeth, kept her patience, ran them through the drill. She performed the movements with them until her arms ached, and she feared she might not be able to pry the sword hilt loose from her cramped fingers. Weary, exasperated, frustrated, she was just about to give up on them when the females performed the drill right. Not only right, but perfectly right. Fonrar stared. For a moment, the boz and the Kapaks were too tired and dispirited to realize what they'd done. And then, noting that Fonrar wasn't swearing at them, they looked at each other and began to realize what they'd done. Again, Fonrar said, not daring to believe. They ran through the drill again, and again, and got it right every time. Fonrar had to strongly repress an urge to hug them all. Dismissed, she said instead. You did well, troops. Very well. Dead tired, the draconians collapsed onto the floor and grinned proudly. Tomorrow, said Fonrar. We do this all again. The grins vanished. Fonrar went to check on Thessick and the Bozaks. Spellcasting was going well. They'd memorized all the spells that Gwelp had taught them, and could recite them forwards and backwards, even when Thessick tossed things at them, poked and prodded them with a stick, and tried other means to distract them. While she was talking to the Bozaks, Fonrar became aware that Shanra and Hanra, and the other two Sivaks were attempting to gain her attention. They lurked about in the background, giggling into their hands and making cunning little winks and nods at her and each other. fonrar realized with a sinking heart that she'd given them nothing to do after they had completed making the wooden swords. No telling what mischief they'd done in the interval. She resolved that tomorrow they would join the sword drill. Come here, Fawn, Shanra said, beckoning. Come see what we've done, Fawn, Hanra added. We've been using our engineering skills. Yes, you'll be proud of us, Shanra said. The Sivaks led their commander to the door of the shed, pointed proudly at the top. Fawnrar saw that they had rigged some sort of contraption above the door, a contraption that involved a barrel placed precariously on the crossbeam. The barrel was held in position by a small stick jammed in between the door and the frame. Fonra had no idea what purpose the contraption served or why it was there, but the Sevax looked so proud and pleased with themselves that she thought she should issue cautious praise. That's interesting, she said. Quite good, the way you have, um caused the barrel to stay in place like that. Quite good, but I'm afraid you're going to have to take it down. It's about time for Gloth's inspection, and... Fanrar paused. She looked more intently at the barrel, looked back at the Sivak sisters. We know, Hanra whispered, giggling. The barrel's filled with water, said Shanra softly. When Gloth comes through the door, splash! Fonrar knew that she should be stern. She should make them take down the contraption immediately. She should probably punish them, assign them fifty push-ups each. But just as she was about to open her mouth, the mantle image of Gloff standing inside the door, dripping wet with a barrel over his head, was too wonderful to relinquish. The troops had worked hard all day. They deserved some reward— she deserved a reward. Attention! came Kressel's voice, a bit louder than necessary. He always gave them warning when he could. Hurry, Fonrar said in a smothered whisper. Take your places. The females hastened to form ranks for the daily headcount. They did so quickly, without the usual scuffling and confusion. Waves of suppressed laughter rippled through the ranks as they heard the key turn in the lock. Fonrar found it hard to keep her countenance. Glancing at Thessick beside her, she saw her friend's eyes gleaming. The females were so excited that not one of them caught the odd note of tension in Kressel's voice. The door opened. The barrel fell. The contraption worked perfectly. The engineering lessons had been put to good use. Except that it wasn't Gloth who opened the door. Water dripped from General Maranta's snout. The barrel lay smashed at his feet. Chapter 9 Sir, come quickly! Kang recognized the shout of one of the guards posted over the females. The guard was racing toward him, panting and waving his arm. If a draconian could have turned pale, he would have been white as a pail of milk. "'Sir, the females!' the Draconian gasped for breath. "'General Moranta. That was as far as he got. Kang began running for the shed. Had he known what had happened, he might have turned and run for the front gate. As it was, he figured he was in trouble when he heard gales of laughter emanating from the shed. Kressel wore the stricken expression of a Draco who has just taken a spear in the gut. "'Sir,' Kressel began gulping, Pushing the hapless Kressel aside, Kang entered the door. He found General Moranta sopping wet, the females prostrate with laughter. What is the meaning of this? Kang roared. At the sight of him and the sound of his voice, the laughter ceased abruptly. Attention! Fanra shouted. The females straightened, stiffened. Eyes shifted forward, heads jerked up, hands fell to their sides. Kang cast them all a single glance, a glance expressive of his fury, a fury they were not accustomed to feeling turned on themselves. The females withered in the heat of his anger. They shrank, hung their heads, cast each other sidelong glances. Kang turned to the general, who was wringing water from his cloak. A glance at the smashed barrel on the floor told Kang all he needed to know. General Moranta, sir, he said. I am sorry, deeply sorry. Please, is there anything I can do, sir? At the word general, horrified gasps and soft groans came from the ranks of the females. So, these are my sisters, General Moranta said in a cold tone. He turned a narrowed, red-eyed gaze on Kang. What are you teaching these females of yours, commander? Aurax are proud, arrogant, always mindful of their standing and their dignity. They do not like to see either diminished. Most especially they do not like to see those they consider beneath them receive more respect than they do. Kang realized at that moment that General Moranta was more offended by the fact that the females showed a lowly Bozak more respect than they did an Orak. Perhaps General Moranta thought that Kang had put them up to this. His words certainly implied as much. Again, I ask you to pardon them, General, Kang said awkwardly. They're young. They've never been introduced to anyone of your rank before. They had no idea who you were. Fonrar, gulping, stepped forward. She had gone cold all over. She could not feel her feet or her hands, but these were her troops. She was responsible for them. She wasn't going to let the commander take the blame. She was grieved to the heart to hear him forced to grovel and beg forgiveness for an act that had not been his fault. "'Excuse me, General,' she said, trying to keep her voice from shaking. "'But if you're going to be angry at anyone, you should be angry at me.' I'm the squadron's leader. Their poor behavior is my fault. Commander Kang didn't know anything about it. We were going to play a joke on... on one of the subcommanders. At General Moranta's baleful gaze, Fonrar's courage almost failed her, but she kept talking valiantly, more for Kang than for herself. We're extremely sorry, General. She lifted her chin, braced her shoulders. We await any punishment you think is fitting for our offense. Sir, Kang began. Enough! General Moranta raised his hand. One corner of the Orak's mouth twitched, showing the tip of a yellow fang. Well, well, Commander, boys will be boys, eh? Especially if they're girls, the general began to laugh. Kang burst out with a guffaw, and a swift glance sent Kressel and the other Draconians into fits at the general's humor. The females remained uneasy and quiet. They were in disgrace. They saw nothing to laugh at. Personally, Fonrar felt she lacked the heart to ever laugh again. No wonder they are given to mischief. Cooped up like this, General Moranta said, when he could contain himself. Remember how we grew up, eh, Kang? Like warriors, raised to battle. He rubbed his clawed hands together. We fought over every scrap of food they tossed to us. There was never enough. The strong ate, the weak went without. Remember, Kang? Yes, sir, Kang said carefully, keeping his tone expressionless. I remember. These females look too well-fed to me. Not enough exercise. You should let them out more. Let them tussle and scrape. "'Begging the General's pardon, but I don't see how that is possible, sir, "'considering what happened this morning. There was a near riot.' "'Bah!' General Moranta erased the incident with a gesture. "'That will not happen again, Commander. "'The men were curious. One can't blame them. "'But their curiosity is satisfied. "'You will have no more trouble.' "'He cast Kang a shrewd glance. "'Have you had any more trouble today?' No, sir, Kang said. We have not. Nor will you. I might as well inspect the... Uh, troops while I'm here, General Moranta chuckled. The females stood as motionless and rigid as if they'd all been dead bars turned to stone. General Moranta passed among them, eyeing each intently. At a nod from Kang, Fonrar accompanied him and the general, walking silently some paces behind the commander. The general said no word to any of them until he reached Thessick, who stood at the back of the line. He paused before her, stared at her long and hard. Fonrar felt for her poor friend, who looked so nervous it seemed likely she might pass out. Her wingtips shivered, her tail curled to a tight ball. What is your name? General Moranta asked. Thessick, sir. Thessick answered in a half-whisper. She did not look at him, kept her eyes straight forward, staring at the back of the head of the draconian female in front of her. Another orac, the first I have seen in many long years. We might have come from the very same golden dragon parent, Thessick, General Moranta said. You and I might be brother and sister. Yes, sir, Thessick said faintly, completely bewildered. She seemingly had no idea what the Draco was talking about. Are you powerful in magic, my dear? General Maranta asked benignly. Fonrar's heart leaped into her gullet and lodged there. She couldn't say or speak a word. Magic, sir? Thessick turned wandering eyes upon the general. There is no magic, sir. Magic left the world with Her Majesty Queen Takeses. General Maranta appeared taken aback. So you practice no magic? Practice? No, sir, Thessick replied. No, sir, Fonrar thought, her heart sliding down her throat to where it belonged. Thessick had told the truth. She hadn't lied. She doesn't practice magic. She doesn't need to practice. The loss of our great queen is most regrettable, General Moranta said. He looked at Kang, who stood silently beside him, and then with a slight shrug the general turned away. The inspection was concluded. General Moranta left shortly after treading on the remnants of the smashed barrel. Water dripped from his cloak. Outside the door, General Moranta paused to tap Kang on the chest with a sharp claw. "'Teach them to fight, Commander. They may be females, but they are draconian females.' not namby-pamby woodsy elf-maids. Teach them to be warriors. Kang might have mentioned that it was a namby-pamby woodsy elf-maid named Lorana, who had been responsible for defeating the general and his entire draconian army. But he wasn't prepared to spend the rest of his time here in the stockade. The thought of Slith and the elf-maid also came to mind. Kang firmly banished that picture. Begging the general's pardon, Kang was doing a lot of that this day. But if the females become warriors, if they fight and die, then our race is no better off than we were before we found them. They are the future of our race. General Moranta leaned close to Kang. The future of our race is well in hand, Commander. Well in hand, he winked. Teach them to fight. General Moranta departed accompanied by six of the queen's own, his bodyguards, who fell into step. Two behind him and two before him, and two walking on either side. As it happened, Slith was sampling the first output of the new distillery, when the alarm over the females was raised. The cactus juice had a bite to it. He'd thought at first he mistakenly mixed in the razor-sharp needles, but after the initial discomfort, The cactus juice slid smoothly down the throat, left a pleasant burning sensation in the belly. We're ready for business, he announced to his assistants. One steel piece a snort. If they don't have steel, we'll take trades. Use your own judgment, Slith raised a warning finger. And don't drink up the profits. The two bars nodded, grinning. Slith was about to have another sample just to make certain that it tasted as good as he had thought when he heard the guards cry out and saw Kang bolt for the female quarters. Slith was about to chase after to find out what was wrong when one of the distillation tubes made from deer intestines sprang a leak. Once this emergency was dealt with, Slith departed to see if he could offer assistance. He arrived at the scene just as General Maranta was leaving it. Slith had thus far been successful in avoiding the general. Moranta had most likely forgotten the elf made incident, and Slith intended to make certain that the sight of him did not jog the general's memory. A group of draconians had gathered nearby, hoping to catch a glimpse of their general, who was well-liked among the troops. Slith stepped in among these, planning to blend in with the crowd and take a look at the general himself. General Moranta was talking to the Sivak who walked alongside him. Entirely unsuitable, General Moranta was saying. Remove them from consideration. The remainder of Kang's troop are satisfactory, most satisfactory. The Sivak said something in reply. Slith tried to hear but couldn't. Detaching himself from the crowd, Slith headed over to the shed, wondering idly as he walked what the general had been discussing. Whatever it is, we're satisfactory, Slith said to himself. The commander will be pleased. Things couldn't have gone too wrong. Things could not have gone more wrong, Kang groaned. He heaved a sigh that came from the claws on his toes, and then he sagged into a camp chair. First the females decide they're going to play a prank on gloth. They rig up the old water barrel drop. I'd like to get my hands on the Draco who taught that to them, Kang added savagely. Slith, who recalled having related a story to the females about the old water-barrel drop involving Dragon High Lord Verminard, looked sympathetic and innocent. Only it wasn't Gloth who walked through the door, Kang growled. It was General Moranta. The females dropped a bucket of water on top of General Moranta. Slith asked, amazed. Kang nodded dismally. Slith jumped out of his chair and headed for the tent flap. Where the hell do you think you're going? Kang demanded angrily. Excuse me, sir, Slith said, but I'm going to laugh, and I know that if I laugh where you can see me, you'll probably bust me lower than the lowest bars. Damn right I will, Kang glared at his second. Slith ducked out the tent flap. Whoops of laughter came from outside. Kang might have been tempted to join in. Whenever he recalled the image of the general wiping water from his snout, a corner of Kang's mouth twitched. But the laughter died when Kang remembered the look General Maranta had given him, a look of detestation that had been hot as a red-hot poker. Slith returned. Composing himself with difficulty, he sat back down. Yes, sir. What happened next, sir? After the general mopped off the water— Slith covered his mouth, half-choked. Kang glowered. "'No, sir, I'm all right, sir,' Slith gasped. "'Just a momentary lapse. Won't happen again.' "'He made an inspection of the troops,' Kang resumed, sighing again. He stopped when he came to Thesick. Slith wasn't laughing anymore. He sat forward. "'Yes, sir,' he said. "'What happened?' General Maranta said something about he and Thessick having come from the same parent, the same golden dragon parent. Slith eyed his commander. The females had to find out sometime, sir. I suppose. Kang slumped in the chair. His tail wound around his feet, his wings drooped. I kept hoping. Maybe the subject would never come up. Slith was sympathetic. I know that, sir but now it has, and they need to be told. They need to know the truth, sir, otherwise they might start to feel like it's something they should be ashamed of. Shouldn't we, Slith? Kang asked wistfully. Shouldn't we be ashamed of our so-called birth? Did you ever look up into the sky and see a silver dragon, see it so beautiful and deadly and magnificent, and think that because of you that dragon lost her child? Not only that, But the children turned out to be hideous and ugly perversions of something beautiful. Did you ever think that? No, sir, said Slyth stubbornly, and neither should you and neither should the female Draconians. We didn't ask to be brought into this world, but now that we're here, we're here, and there's nothing you or I or the Silver Dragon can do about it. I look at it this way, sir. I'll be accountable for my own actions— but I'll be damned if I'm going to take responsibility for things that happened before I was even born. No, sir, I don't have anything to be ashamed about, and I don't consider myself hideous, sir. And I sure don't consider the females ugly. Do you, sir? Kang softened. No, you're right, Slith. I have to say that I never in my life saw anything more beautiful than those tiny little creatures we carried out of that cave and they've grown more beautiful every day. Thank you, Slith. Kang leaned forward to shake his second-in-command by the hand. Thank you. I'll talk to them right away, tonight, after supper. There's just one more problem, he added, feeling more cheerful. But that's easily handled. General Moranta asked Thessick if she was powerful in magic. She didn't understand what he was talking about, bless her heart. Thank goodness we don't have to worry about them using magical spells. No, sir, said Slith, avoiding his commander's eyes. I was sorry to lose the magic, Kang continued, but now I'm glad it's gone. Can you imagine the problems we'd face if the females knew magic? Kang shuddered. It gives me nightmares just to think about it. Sir, Slith began. Kang closed his eyes, leaned back in his chair. He was worn out. He felt worse than after his battle with the Hobbs his wounds hurt, his body ached. He had been so pleased to come to this fort, saw it as a safe haven, a place to rest and relax and forget his problems. But his problems were multiplying, not diminishing. General Maranta, the females, the goblins. But he'd been proud of Fonrar. She'd stood up to the general. What is it, Slith? Kang asked, opening his eyes with a guilty start. He'd caught himself dozing off, and he remembered that his second had been about to say something. "'I was going to say,' Slith paused, looked at his weary commander, and changed his mind. "'Never mind, sir. It can wait. We're going to be finished with the temporary quarters tomorrow. The females can move in tonight, sir, if that's acceptable.' "'Excellent, yes, see to it,' Kang said. Stifling a groan, he rose to his feet. I'll come inspect the site. The men have done good work today, sir. I'm sure you'll be pleased. I'm sure I will, Slith. Also, we're taking our turn in the watch rotation for the fort tonight. Do you want me to assign the men? Yes, but see to it that we set our own watch as usual. Kang grinned, nudged his friend. By the gods, Slith, you should have seen General Moranta standing there soaking wet... I have to admit it was damn funny. I'm sorry I missed it, sir, Slith said. Oh, by the way, I passed the general on the way out. He was talking to one of his sevacs. Slith related the conversation he'd overheard. Satisfactory, Kang was pleased. He said we were most satisfactory? Yes, sir. Perhaps I jumped to conclusions, Kang said. I didn't think he thought much of us. That's good to know, Slith. Very good. Sir, Granick rapped on the tent pole. Runner from General Moranta to see you, sir. The runner, Baz, entered the tent, saluted. Commander Kang, Sub-Commander Slith, General Moranta has called a command conference this evening, sundown. Where? Kang asked with trepidation, fearing he'd have to fight his way through the maze of the General's private fort. Command center, sir, outside the HQ. I know where it is, sir, said Slith. Kang was not surprised to hear that Slith already knew his way around the fort. Slith made it his business to get to know his environs. Tell the general I'll be there, Kang said. The boss saluted again and departed. Something's up, said Kang. That would be the scout's report, sir, Slith said. Kang cocked an eye at his second. He could always count on Slith knowing the latest scuttlebutt. Yeah, what have you heard? Proquel dropped by to see how things were going with the temporary quarters this afternoon, sir, just before the, uh, emergency with the females. The scouts had just returned, and according to Prokel they reported to the general that the goblin army is massing in numbers we haven't seen since the War of the Lance. Thousands of them, and they're well armed and well trained. Someone's put a lot of effort and a lot of money into this campaign, sir." into wiping us out, Kang said grimly. The Salamniks. It's got to be the Salamniks. But since when do they work with goblins? Slith argued. It's these modern times, Kang said. You can't trust anyone. Maybe the Salamniks have figured that once Paladine left, there's no one around to care what they do. Maybe so, sir, Slith said, but he sounded dubious. Not that it matters, Kang said gloomily. You're just as dead no matter who kills you. When does Prokel figure the goblins will attack? According to what he heard, more goblin troops are arriving daily, and they're digging in as if they mean to stay a while. They can't even think of launching an all-out assault against this fort with fewer than ten thousand troops, and they only have half that number. I'll have to think this over. And now, Kang rose to his feet, I better go hear what General Maranta has to say. Is what you told me general knowledge among the men? If it isn't now, sir, it will be, Slith predicted. I'll want to speak to them. The gods only know what rumors will be flying. Tonight, sir? Kang hesitated. He thought of waiting until the troops were assembled, waiting for the officers to bring them to order, thought of standing in front of them making a speech— thought of trying to be reassuring when what he really wanted was someone to reassure him. He thought of all this, and then he thought of his nice, warm, comfortable bed. He shook his head. No, everyone's exhausted, myself included. First thing tomorrow morning. While I'm gone, have Gloth see to it that the females move into their new quarters. Oh, and you better warn Gloth that the females have it in for him. That bucket was meant for his head." Yes, sir, Slith grinned. Now, Kang said, exiting his tent, tell me how to locate this command center. Kang learned nothing more during the meeting than what Slith had already told him. He brought up the subject of who was hiring and training the goblins, but General Maranta refused to speculate. He left it to his officers to form their own opinions. Kang was pleased by one statement the general made. When an officer, a Bozak Kang didn't know, suggested that the goblins were attacking them due to the presence of the females, and that if the females left, the goblins would leave as well, General Moranta told the officer in no uncertain terms that he was an idiot. Did the officer really think that the goblins would mass thousands of soldiers just to wipe out one small regiment of draconian engineers, females or no? General Maranta doubted if the goblins even knew that draconian females were present among Kang's troops. The goblins were being paid to destroy draconians, all draconians. True, Kang had inadvertently led the goblins to discover this fort, but they would have found it soon enough as it was. In fact, perhaps they had been dogging Kang, hoping he would lead them here. Everyone, goblins, hobgoblins, humans, and elves knew the name of General Moranta. They knew him and feared his power. If anyone was the target of the goblins' ire, it was General Moranta, not some lowly Bozak engineer. Not very flattering to Kang, but since it took some of the heat off him, he was more than happy to let General Moranta consider himself the target. In fact, General Moranta undoubtedly had a point. The goblins may have stumbled on this fort, but if they were being hired to wipe out draconians, this was an opportunity to do so in one fell swoop. Following the meeting, Kang ate a quick meal in the officer's mess, then made his inspection of the building site. He was pleased with the progress. The new barracks would be ready for the males to move into tomorrow. The females had already moved into theirs. He had one more task before he could turn in he would visit the females inspect their quarters see how they were getting along the move had gone smoothly according to gloff chastened by the fiasco involving the general the females had been unusually cooperative they had their bedrolls packed and were ready to leave the shed the moment gloff gave the word to move out gloff had doubled the number of bodyguards but he needn't have bothered the fort's draconian males gave the females no more than a mildly curious glance and hastened on to whatever duty they had been assigned to perform. Kang was pleasantly surprised. The fort may have looked like a ramshackle mess, but apparently its inner workings were much better constructed. Discipline was strict, well enforced. The troops seemed in good spirits, respected their officers. He saw no harsh punishments being meted out, such as he'd been sorry to observe in the old dragon army, the few prisoners locked up in the brig were there on ordinary charges, drunk and disorderly, fighting in the barracks, petty theft. Unlike the Goblin Army, the Draconians did their duty because they were proud to do their duty, not because they were being driven by officers wielding whips. He gave General Miranda credit. According to the account of the fort's history, the general had escaped Naraka with the Queen's Own and the Ninth Infantry. Guessing that with the fall of their queen Draconians would be hunted down and slaughtered by the victorious forces of light, Maranta had searched for an isolated, desolate place to establish a defensible position. He had thrown up the fort's walls and the first few buildings, then set about constructing the more permanent bastion. Once settled, General Maranta sent out scouts to find other troops of Draconians who might be in a similar plight, urged them to join him, One of those scouts might have found us, Kang thought, if we had not been hidden away in the mountains. He speculated briefly on how his life and the lives of his men might have been different. More of his troops would be alive today, he reflected, but they would not have found the females. Kang would be like Vertax and Yakano and the other commanders, respectful, obedient, unquestioning, looking to Maranta for both questions and answers. Kang had been on his own too long, he realized. He had developed an independent spirit, a bad thing in a military officer. Kang took himself to task over this. He would not have tolerated such an attitude from one of his own commanders, and he vowed to shape up, view General Maranta with more respect. He deserved it. Still, Kang was forced to secretly admit that he was glad the scout had not found them. The night was bright with stars. Torches flared on the walls at the guard posts. A group of draconians returning from the mess hall laughed and talked, saluted Kang as they passed him. He fully intended to speak to the females, relate to them the true circumstances of their birth. He'd put this unpleasant task off far too long, like having a decayed tooth yanked. But when he arrived at the females' quarters, he found the area dark and quiet. I think they're asleep, sir, said the night guard. Shall I wake them? No, no, Kang said hastily. I'll just take a peek. The guard slid aside the bar that held the door shut. Kang opened the door quietly, looked inside. The females lay on their newly built cots, fast asleep. Only one was awake, Fonrar. She was pacing the floor, walking from one of the small windows to another, looking out in the night. Kang was about to slip away, but she had sharp hearing. She made a quick motion to him, and he stepped inside, not sorry to have a chance to talk to her. She came to stand at attention in front of him, saluting. Kang smiled, shook his head. At ease, he said softly. Sir, Fanrar began, I just want to say again how sorry I am. I know, he said, I know. What's done is done. He regarded her with concern. She looked worn out, he thought, and desperately unhappy. "'You shouldn't dwell on it, Fanrar. You mustn't let it keep you from your sleep.' "'It was my fault,' she said miserably. "'I knew what they were doing. I didn't stop them. "'The worst of it is that we got you into trouble with the general, sir. We never meant for that to happen.' "'It wasn't the first time I've been in trouble with a general,' Kang said dryly. "'And I'm certain it won't be the last.' Still, sir, we'd feel better if you gave us some sort of punishment.' "'The purpose of punishment is to reinforce the lesson,' Kang said, smiling. "'I think you've learned your lesson, haven't you?' "'Yes, sir,' said Fanrar, But she sounded subdued, and she did not meet his eyes. "'I was very proud of you today, Fanrar Kang said. "'The way you admitted your wrong to the general, that took real courage.' Don't praise me, sir, she said, still avoiding looking at him. I don't deserve it. He was pleased with her modesty and humility. I hope that the others weren't too upset about what the general said, Thessick in particular. What about, sir? Fanmar looked at him now, warily. About. Kang was uncomfortable. He'd been rehearsing his speech all the way over here, but it sounded much too grandiose for an audience of one— about coming from the eggs of dragons. Oh, that, sir, Fonor seemed relieved. No one was upset. Why should we be? We've known about that for a long time. You have? Kang was astonished. Yes, sir. Kressel explained it all to us, how we came from the eggs of the metallic dragons, eggs that were magically altered to produce draconians instead of baby dragons. Huh? Kressel explained? But that That doesn't bother you? Kang stammered. No, sir, Fonrar said, blinking. Should it? No, no, he said hurriedly. Of course not. It's just... Thessick didn't appear to understand what the general was talking about. I thought... Oh, that's just this, Fonrar smiled indulgently. She's like that, sir. Keeps herself to herself. You never know what she's thinking unless she wants you to know, and then half the time I don't understand. To tell you the truth, sir, Thessick was mad at the general. She didn't like the way he singled her out, as if she were different from the rest of us, and so she played dumb, didn't let on that she understood what he was saying. I think it has to do with wings, sir. Wings? Kang was mystified. Thessick doesn't have wings, sir. I think that upsets her. I... I see. Kang didn't see, not in the slightest. Will that be all, sir? Fonrar asked, stifling a yawn. Uh, yes, said Kang. Get to bed. That's an order. Yes, sir, Fonrar saluted. Kang watched as the guard slid the bar back into place. Then he walked to his quarters, more than ready for his own bed. Wings, he repeated, scratching his head. Chapter 10 A rapping on the tent post, followed by the sound of wings scraping on canvas, interrupted Kang's dream. A pleasant dream this time. He opened his eyes to find a draconian standing over him. (sighs) Kang grunted. The most intelligent sound he could make at this hour, whatever this hour was. What it obviously wasn't was morning. The tent was pitch dark. The draconian's body heat provided the only light. Kang recognized Slith. Thoughts filtered through the remnants of a dream into Kang's brain. Slith had knocked, but he hadn't waited for Kang to yell, Enter. Slith had barged into his commander's tent in the middle of the night. Slith, who should have been asleep as well, something was wrong. Kang sighed deeply and swung his clawed feet over the side of the cot. Why didn't emergencies happen at noon? Why did disaster always wait to strike while a fellow was peacefully sleeping? Sorry to wake you, sir, Slith began. Kang waved his hand, indicated that Slith was to skip the apology, get on with the bad news. Kang knew it was bad news. No one ever woke him up in the dead of night to give him good news. Where is it? Goblins? Kang mumbled, rubbing his eyes. Two of our troopers are missing, sir. Ural and Vlemis, both Baas, both from one squadron. "'Huh?' Kang stared at his second. "'Missing? Two of ours? When? Where? How?' "'The two were among those assigned to stand sentry duty on the walls, sir. When their shift ended, all the sentries who were relieved of duty lined up inside the front gate, all except ours. Our two turned up missing.' The fourth century commander put our two on report, but didn't bother to tell any of us that two of our own were gone, sir. After the rest of our sentries returned to barracks, Seldak did a head count and came up too short. He went to see the fourth sentry commander who told him that the guards who were supposed to relieve our two had found them missing at their posts. Slith paused, then said quietly, They're going to be listed as deserters, sir. "'Deserters? No. That doesn't make any sense,' Kang protested vehemently. Damn it! we've ventured hundreds of miles together over mountains, across rivers, through blood and fire, and not a single Draco has deserted. Died in battle, yes. Died of sickness, one killed by wolves and one committed suicide. But not desertion, Slith. Not desertion!' Kang tried frantically to come up with a plausible explanation. "'Did you try the latrine?' Maybe they've got the trots. Yes, sir, first place we looked. Seldak reported to Gloth, who called out the whole squadron. Gloth thought maybe our two didn't know they were supposed to report to the fourth sentry commander, and when their duty ended, they left to find a drinking hole or maybe went to the mess hall. No sign of them. Gloth also ordered that the squadron search the section of the wall the men were patrolling. They found this lying on the ramparts, sir. Slith held up a boot knife. You probably can't see in the dark, sir, but it's one of ours, made by our smith. I recognized it, and so did Pollard, when Gloth rousted him out of bed. That's when Gloth woke me up, and that's why I'm here waking you up an hour before sunrise, sir. Kang absorbed all this. Do you think they deserted Slith? He shook his head. Maybe I should have talked to them last night. They didn't desert, sir, Slith was emphatic. Why should they? Where would they go, to join up with the goblins? For God's sake, sir, we're inside the only safe haven that exists around here for miles. Why would they leave? Tang had to admit this made sense. Has anyone checked outside the wall? Slith shook his head. We've been told that no one goes outside the fort after dark, General's orders. He figures the goblins have patrols out to try to pick off any stragglers. We were going to wait until dawn. Tang reached for his field harness and equipment and began to strap it on. At first light, I want the regiment in fighting order at the front gate. We'll do a full sweep of the area. Give the orders, start the troops moving, then go and see Prokel. You two seem to have hit it off well. Ask him if he'll lend us some bodies to help search. Got it? Yes, sir. Slith started to leave, turned back. What is it we're searching for, sir? Blamed if I know, Kang snapped, concern making him irritable. Piles of dust, the rest of their equipment, blood, signs of a fight. Maybe some damn goblin archer got them during the night and they tumbled headfirst off the wall. Or maybe they saw something and decided to fly down and go check it out. Not likely, sir, Slith said. They would have reported— I'm aware of that, dammit! Kang shouted. He hadn't meant to shout, and he drew in a deep breath, annoyed with himself. He shouldn't be seen losing control. Just go, Slith. There has to be an explanation. Slith saluted and dashed from the commander's tent. Kang exited the tent to find Granick already up and moving, the company standard in his hand. The bodyguard was already assembled, waiting for him in parade order. Granick had foreseen his commander's need and prepared for it accordingly. Kang was comforted by the sight of the enormous Sivak, solid and steady, undisturbed by the turmoil, ready for whatever might come. The air was cold. There was no wind. Clouds blotted out the stars. The pre-dawn darkness was thick and oppressive. Kang's engineers were forming into troops and squadrons on the parade ground in front of the partially completed barracks. When all was ready, Gloth, Yethic, and Folkth, the two commanders of the line squadrons and the commander of the support squadron, marched up to Kang, saluted, and reported. First squadron ready to march, sixty officers and other ranks. Gloth paused a moment, the next words hard for him to say. Two missing, sir, he added harshly. The next officer, Yethick, spoke up. Second squadron, ready to march, forty-eight officers and other ranks. Two, too ill to fight, sir. Support squadron, fifty-four officers and other ranks ready to march, said folk Two cooks and two orderlies staying behind to provide food for when we return, and two assigned to security for the females, sir. Speaking of the females, what should we tell them, sir? They're bound to know something's up if they see us all march out the gate, and you know that they'll see us, sir. Tang nodded gloomily. He'd come to learn that the females were highly observant. He was often amazed and occasionally dismayed at how much they knew about what was going on in the camp. "'Tell them we're going out on maneuvers,' he said after a moment's thought. "'Don't mention anything about the missing men or about the goblin army massing. I don't want to upset them, and I don't want them to think that we all might—might—might abandon them.' He couldn't bring himself to even say the ugly word, desert. Yes, sir, Fulk saluted. Tang turned back to the other officers. March your squadrons to the front gate and wait for my command to move out. The officers saluted again and shouted orders in unison. Although the babble sounded confusing, the soldiers knew which voice to listen for and responded only to their squadron commanders. They marched in step to the front gate, halted, stood ready to move out the moment the sun had climbed over the mountains. They would not have to wait long. The sun would not make an appearance this morning due to the clouds, but the black of night was giving way to a sullen gray. With first light, Kang ordered the gates to be opened. The squadrons departed, fanning out to explore the territory surrounding the fortress. You're with me, Kang said to Slith. Accompanied by the bodyguard, the two examined the area beneath the wall where the draconians had stood watch. Kang had hoped to find the piles of dust that would mean his draconians had died on duty. Better death than dishonor. But they found nothing. There had been no wind during the fight. The dust could not have blown away. Cautioning the bodyguard to keep their distance, Slith investigated every bit of ground minutely, crawling on his hands and knees. Nothing, sir, Slith reported, rising and wiping the dirt from his claws. No dust, no blood, no broken scales or scraps of torn leather. No sign of footprints, Kang asked. No, sir, but the ground is hard-packed and rocky, wouldn't show much. Still look at this, sir, Slith indicated some scrub bushes growing at the base of the stockade. See how brittle and dry these are. If the bars had been shot and fallen from the wall, they would have landed in those bushes. No sign of that, sir. The bushes were intact, their small brown leaves scraped against the wood with an annoying dry rustle. So we know that they didn't jump from the wall, they weren't killed, they're not lying dead drunk in the latrine. Where in the abyss are they? Slith gazed out across the barren ground that surrounded the fort. I suppose they could have made a run for it, sir. Figured they'd head north. There's talk around camp of a fortress of dark knights of Takisus, not too far from here. Is there? Kang looked up at Slith sharply. He was about to ask where, but they were interrupted. Kang turned to see Commander Prokel. Men deserted in the night, eh? Prokel said, adding with a shrug. Well, it happens to us all. Not to me, Kang was about to say, but he shut his mouth with a snap. Especially, Prokel continued, with these reports of the goblin army preparing to attack. I lost two men last night. We'll lose more, I'm afraid. I'll recommend that the guard be doubled. Kang made no comment. Another regiment of Draconians, Prokel's regiment, marched away. I've sent out my troops to help capture the deserters. I ordered them to take them alive. Prokel rubbed his hands. We'll make an example of them. Might deter others. He glanced up at the stockade with interest. What did they do? Jump off the wall? We can't find any signs of that, Kang said morosely. Excuse us a moment. Drawing Slith aside, Kang said in a low voice, "'Find out from Prokel who that blasted sentry commander was "'and why he didn't report this disappearance to us immediately. "'And I also want to know more about that fort of Dark Knights. "'How close is it? How many men does it have? "'You have to talk to him, Slith. "'I'm afraid if I do, I'll lose my temper "'and say something that will get me into trouble.' "'Whereas if I say something to get me into trouble,' Slith began, grinning. "'I can always give you hell for it later,' Kang said. Muttering his thanks to Prokel for his assistance, Kang departed. "'Your commander's taking it hard, isn't he?' Kang overheard Prokel say. "'You'd think he never dealt with deserters before.' "'He hasn't,' Slith said, adding companionably. "'Say, I was wondering if you could introduce me to that sentry commander. I'd like to ask him a few questions.' There they go, off on maneuvers, said Fonrar, staring gloomily out the window of their new quarters, and here we sit doing nothing. Don't you think it's sort of odd? Thessick asked, joining Fonrar. What's odd? That we're doing nothing. It's what we always do, Fonrar said bitterly. No, I mean that the commander's sending the men out on maneuvers— Yesterday they worked like ogres were driving them to finish the barracks, and now, with the barracks only half-finished, they're off with first light to go on maneuvers. Why not go on maneuvers after the barracks are finished? Why waste the time? Doesn't make sense to me. You're right, Fonrar said, considering. Something's wrong. I saw you talking to the commander last night. Did he say anything?' Just to ask if we were moved in and comfortable, and to commend me for the way I stood up to that creepy old general, Fonrar sighed. The commander commended me. He didn't punish me like I deserve. I wish he would have, Thessick. Then I could be angry and resentful at him. As it is, he was so kind and understanding that it made me feel wretched and guilty. I hate deceiving him. I know. Thessick was sympathetic. But remember that we're keeping this from him so as not to worry him. It's for his own good. And with the men gone and the barracks only half built, this is a perfect time to go on some maneuvers of our own. We should take advantage of the situation. You're right, said Fonrar. Like any good commander, she put her personal feelings aside. An opportunity like this might not come again. The females' quarters were much roomier than the shed had been, provided more air and light through the small windows cut into the wall. The main door opened off a corridor leading to the common room that was located between two barracks. When the common room was finished, the females would be protected by male draconians on either side, the only access to their quarters through the common room. As it was, that section was only half built. A second door led to their own latrine, a slit trench enclosed by a wall of logs. Fonrar assembled her troops. Report Riel, the Bas commander, stepped forward. The roof of the latrines is not yet completed. The wall can be easily scaled. A pile of wood outside will screen anyone climbing over the wall. After inspecting the construction we have determined that with the proper tools we could alter some of the logs so that they could be removed and put back into place without anyone noticing if they didn't look too hard, she added. Right, and that will provide us with a way to get outside. Will they post guards there, do you think? Fonrar looked at Thessick. I shouldn't think so, Thessick said. They have guards on the main door, of course. But why guard the latrines if there's a wall around them and a roof over them? Agreed. Sivax, front and center. Shanra and Hanra marched forward. The males are gone on maneuvers, or so we've been told. Thessick will take care of distracting the guards at the door. You two will exit through the latrines. Buckle on the armor as usual. We need weapons. Don't talk to anyone, but keep your ears open. I think something's up, and I'd like to know what's going on, and I'll expect you to map the fort on your return, so keep your eyes open as well. Any questions? Good. Dismissed. The Sivak sisters departed to put on their armor. Thessick went to the main door, planning to find out what she could from Kressel, as well as keep him from hearing any suspicious sounds that might come from the direction of the latrine. I doubt if I can get much out of him, she confided to Fonrar. He's shut up tighter than an oyster since the commander put him on report. Do what you can, Fonrar said, and left to supervise the Sivak's escape. Having seen them over the wall and safely away with no alarms being raised, Fonrar returned to put the rest of her troops through sword drill. Kang went back to his tent, planning to wait there for the reports to come in. He would have much preferred being out on the hunt or prowling about the fort, searching in sheds and under tables, but he had to restrain himself. To do so would give the appearance that he didn't trust his own men and officers, when, in fact, he knew that if the two missing Dracos could possibly be found, his troops would find them. But the waiting was hard, the hardest task he'd ever set himself. He was hungry, and he considered going to the officers' mess, but the thought of running into Vertax or any of the other officers, or having to listen to them discuss the incident and know that they held him in disdain for his Draco's desertions, effectively ruined Kang's appetite. He faced another difficult task. He would have to write out a report for General Moranta. He figured he might as well get that over with and started to write. He had not put down a single sentence before he stopped. Nothing could convince him that his men had deserted. Nothing. He would wait until nightfall, wait until all squadrons had reported in. Meanwhile, it was going to be a long day. About two hours later, Slith appeared. "'Sir, I'm back,' said Slith, ducking inside the tent. "'And?' he paused to watch his commander, who was vigorously polishing his battle-axe. "'Sir, I think if you keep rubbing the blade like that you're going to be able to see through it pretty soon.' Kang looked up, somewhat shamefacedly. "'Goblin blood eats away at the metal,' he muttered in a gruff voice. He set the axe aside." What did you find out? Anyone report in yet? No, sir. All squadrons are still searching, but I found out something interesting. At Kang's gesture, Slith sat down on the commander's bunk. He kept his voice low. The commander on the sentry detail last night was a CVAC, one of the Queen's own. Kang grunted, Well, that's a first the Queen's own doing something useful for a change besides posting guard duty for a general. I'm surprised. They might actually get their pretty tabards dirty. Yes, sir. I said as much to Proquel, but he acted like he didn't know what I was talking about. According to him, General Moranta makes every draconian in the fort take his turn at sentry detail. Of course, the Queen's own don't stand watch like the rest of us. They're in command— and one of them was in command last night. Kang scratched his head. I'm damned if I can see how that makes any difference. Did you talk to him? Why didn't he report the loss of any of our officers? No, he just came off duty and he's asleep. Slith read his commander's thoughts, forestalled them. I spoke to one of the Queen's own officers, told him this was really important, and asked if he'd wake him. No luck, eh? Kang said, No, sir. The Queen's Own have their barracks near that great hulking fort in a fort, so I couldn't even give the fellow his own private reveille like I considered. I told the Queen's Own officer that we were respectfully wondering why we were the last to hear about our own guys disappearing, and the Queen's Own looked amazed that I'd even ask such a stupid question. Said the sentry commander had followed standard procedure. Is that standard procedure, sir? It wouldn't be if I were in command, Kang growled. But it may be around here. I did wake up some of the other poor bastards who were on sentry duty last night, Slit said, adding with a shrug, no one saw anything strange. No one heard anything out of the ordinary. Kang shook his head, stared gloomily at his battle-axe. I did find out about those dark knights, though, sir, Slith said. He was worried. He'd never seen his commander so cast down, so glum. Not even when it looked like they were all going to be goblin fodder. There's a keep held by dark knights near here. I brought a map. He spread the map out on the floor, indicated the position of General Maranta's fort, and drew a line with a claw that led northward about thirty-five miles. Here, sir. No one seems to know much about them, except that they think it's an entire wing, cavalry and foot. Prokel says the knights may not know that this fort is here. The hell they don't, Kang grunted. You can bet your silver wings that some blue dragon rider has spotted this fort and relayed the message to them. They may not care that we're out here, but they know and I'll lay even money that General Moranta knows how many men the knights have down to the last shit stable hand. He rolled up the map. Is the general in his command tent? I don't know, sir, but I can find out. Do you think our boys really headed that way, sir? No, I don't. No one will ever convince me they deserted Slith, but they're gone and there's nothing more we can do about it except what we're doing. Meanwhile, we have ten thousand goblins out there to worry about. I get it, Slith said, intrigued. You're figuring on asking the Dark Knights to help us. They may be human, Kang said, but we're all on the same side. Once they hear that the cursed Salamniks are behind this, they'll jump at the chance to get into the battle. I'm just surprised the General hasn't thought of this before. Good luck, sir, Slith said. Kang snorted. He hoped he didn't have to depend on Lady Luck. He and she just didn't seem to be on speaking terms these days. Chapter 11 Shanra and Hanra strolled through the fort's small community, looking purposeful and confident, taking care not to gawk or stare, although there was much they wanted to gawk and stare at. They had never been inside a fort or any type of town or city. They had never seen so many of their kind in one place at the same time. Being hungry, they decided their first stop should be the mess hall, of whose wonders and glories they'd heard about from Kressel. In any event, the mess hall, filled with male draconians, would be a good place to find out if they could blend in with these males as easily as they did the draconians of their own regiment. They had some difficulty locating the mess hall, but eventually Hanra, the bolder of the two, found the courage to step up to a draconian and ask for directions. The draconian glanced at them, glanced at the emblem on their leather armor, which was the emblem of the first Dragon Army engineers, and pointed down the right street. That was easy, said Hanra. So far, so good, said her more cautious sister. Do you suppose what Kressel said is true? Hanra asked. As they made their way through the crooked streets lined with ramshackle buildings. That there's so much food spread out that you can eat and eat until you're stuffed and then keep eating? No, said Shanra, I think Kressel's making it up. You're probably right, Hanra sighed. Still, it's nice to dream. The two found the mess hall, and, not knowing what else to do, joined the line that had formed outside. The delicious fragrance of roasting goat meat wafting from the mess hall made their stomachs gurgle. When was the last good meal we ate in camp? Hanra asked. I think it was that Kender, Shanra said, and there wasn't much to him. She sniffed. This smells absolutely wonderful. A draconian in front of them in line turned to stare at them. The sisters froze in terror, fearing they'd been discovered but he only growled and asked if they were crazed or what. Beans and goat again, he grumbled. Burned at that. How do they expect a guy to fight when they feed him swill like this? Yeah, how, Shanra said, hardening her voice. It's disgraceful, Hanra agreed. Inside, they followed the example of the other draconians, picked up large square wooden platters, and when they came to a draconian standing over a huge kettle ladling out food, they held their platters in front of him, as did the others. He dumped a ladle full of beans and meat onto Honra's platter. She stood staring in astonishment. She'd never seen so much food. He looked at her. You want more? Can I have more? she gasped. Glutton for punishment, ain't you? the cook said and dumped out another ladle. The two found places at a table, a long board stretched across trestles. The food was every bit as wonderful as it smelled. They began to shovel in the beans and meat, until they noted that their table companions were staring at them. They must be those engineers we rescued from goblins, said one. I heard they were near starving. That explains it, said another with a disgusted glance at his own platter. Say, I hear you got females with you, said the first, turning to Hanra. What are they like? Oh, just like us, said Shanra, winking at her sister. Only more intelligent, Hanra said. Stronger, wiser, better looking. I saw them, said one. Nothing special. They are just like us, in fact. And what's the fun in that? I'll take human females any day. Yeah, said another. Hugging one of those female Dracos would be just like hugging one of you guys. The males laughed. Hanra spluttered, so furious she couldn't speak. We have to go, said Chandra, jumping up. She caught hold of Hanra's arm and began dragging her toward the door. Time for inspection. Hanra's fists were clenched. I'll give them a hug. They'll never— No, you won't. Not today. Chandra herded her volatile sister out of the mess hall. The two walked aimlessly about for a little while, kicking at stones in glum silence. "'Do you suppose they all feel like that?' Hanra asked at last. "'The commander and—and Slith?' "'I don't know,' said Shanra. "'We've heard some of the others talk about human females before. You know when they think we're asleep.' "'But not Slith,' said Hanra hopefully. "'No, not Slith,' Shanra agreed.' We'll ask Fanrar. She'll know. Meantime, we have work to do. I wonder where they store the weapons. I'll ask, said Hanra. No, it's my turn, said Shanra sharply. You asked the last time. Yes, but you- Something I can help you fellows find, a draconian officer stopped. Uh, yes, sir, said Shanra in some confusion. We, uh, lost our swords. Broken, Hanra said. In the fight. With the goblins. And we need- "'Replacements,' said the officer, who happened to be Prokel, although they did not know it. "'Just have Commander Kang fill out a requisition form, and take that form to the quartermaster in that building over there. He'll fit you up with everything you need. I guess Kang's wanting to make certain everyone's prepared for the big goblin assault.' The two sisters exchanged glances. "'Yes, sir,' said Hanra. "'Thank you, sir,' Shanra added. Any luck on finding those two deserters? Prokel asked. Deserters, sir? Hanra gaped. Those two men from your regiment who left in the night, I guess they're not officially deserters yet. Uh, no, sir, Shanra stammered. Not that I know of. Well, good luck with the hunt. Give my regards to your commander, Prokel strode off. Deserters? Hanra said bleakly. Goblin assault, Shanra said. Requisition, they said simultaneously, and looked at each other in dismay. Maybe Fanrar could write us a requisition, Honra suggested. You know, forge the commander's name. I don't see how, Shanra argued. Do you even know what a requisition is? No, Hanra admitted. Me neither. The two stood there, staring at each other. Well, it can't hurt to go take a look at this quartermaster place, Chanra said. Maybe we'll get an idea when we see it. And at least we'll be able to tell Fawn where it is, Hanra agreed. The two followed Prokel's directions, losing themselves twice amidst the tangle of streets. By this time they realized that their unique ability to blend in with their surroundings was working yet again. The other Draconians in the fort took them to be newcomers with Kang's regiment and were helpful in showing them the way they needed to go. The sisters found the weapons supply warehouse. Unlike the rest of the buildings, the warehouse was made of the same material as the general's quarters—stone, wood, and hard-baked mud. It had no windows, and a heavy wooden door barred the entry. If the fort was penetrated by enemy troops The draconians did not want their enemy arming themselves with draconian weapons. The door stood open this day. A large and corpulent draconian sat at a table just inside the door in the shady coolness. Two Bozak guards sat inside with him, playing at some sort of game. Shanra and Hanra hung about at a safe distance, trying to see inside, but without much success. As they watched, a Boz carrying a scroll came hurrying up. Entering the building, he saluted. Requisition for three broadswords, sir, said the boss, and handed over the scroll. The Sivak sisters looked at each other, nodded. The quartermaster unrolled the scroll, glanced over the requisition. Turning, he shouted to someone inside the building and made a notation in a large ledger. The boss left, lugging three broadswords with him. The swords gleamed in the sunlight. The sisters gazed at them longingly. We have to have one of those requisitions, said Hanra emphatically. Agreed, said Shanra, but I haven't a clue how to get one, do you? Hanra shook her head. Shanra sighed. Well, there's no use hanging around here. Someone's bound to see us and get suspicious. Nothing left but to go back and make our report. The two walked disconsolately down a street that ran alongside the warehouse. This street, which was one of the few wide straight streets, led straight to the bastion. Other streets branched off this main road, some actually going somewhere, others simply dead-ending, as though having come this far they had forgotten why they wanted to be here. The sisters walked with bowed heads, kicking irritably at loose rocks. Hearing voices nearby, the sisters looked up to see two of the grandest, most splendid sea they had ever seen. The Sivaks wore chainmail armor that gleamed in the sunshine. They carried huge, ornate, curved, blade swords thrust into jeweled leather belts. They each wore a tabard made of cloth bearing the emblem of a five-headed dragon. That's one of the queen's own, Hanra said, awed. The ones Kressel told us about. They once served her dark majesty— At the sight of these wondrous beings, the sisters forgot their injunction not to gawk and stare, and did both.